Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Uh, snow falling today in Happy Valley as we near mid-November and plenty to catch up on as Penn State faces a new reality with a loss on their record. 8-1 and one. in case you missed it, our Saturday night recap, a post-game, Saturday afternoon post-game recap from Minnesota uh, kind of went chronologically uh, breaking down what went wrong, why things may have went wrong and what ultimately led to a five-point loss in Minneapolis for Penn State. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue, back with you a few days later. Had some time to, to digest the, the, some things. Uh, Sean is well underway with his second look, uh, which you can find on our website, lines247.com. Uh, he's going to share some thoughts uh, from a second look at this game. And, and additionally, we just got uh, out of the press conference with James Franklin. It turned out to be uh, a bit of an interesting one towards the end. So we're going to bring all that to you. And also a commitment on board for Penn State uh, on the positive front as they add to their 2020 recruiting class. We'll tell you all about that new edition. But first, Sean, uh, as we look ahead toward Indiana, we're going to do more of that on Thursday. We're going to have a guest on who covers uh, the Hoosiers, uh, and, and he's going to give us a little more, little more information on Indiana. But I don't think you, me, our listeners are quite ready to turn our attention away from what went down at Minnesota on Saturday. I beg to differ on our listeners because I checked out the numbers, <laughs> and uh, we, we missed some of you. you. You're welcome to come back. Uh, I know people didn't really want to relive that one very quickly uh, after the game, but uh, hey, we're here where we are, and uh, Penn State's 8-1. and one. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's all about how to bounce back. We're trying to, to, to do our best to bounce back. Um, Penn State, of course, we talked to James Franklin a little bit today. He's doing his best to bounce back. He's also got some other things on his mind, which we'll get to. But uh, yeah, it's, it's all about the Hoosiers now. Um, we're going to get into that Minnesota game. Uh, just we'll twist the knife a little bit more, get into that Minnesota game a little bit later. But yeah, there's, there's certainly plenty to talk about. And Penn State, 8-1, and one, as Sean said, they are down to number 9 in the Associated Press Top 25 poll, number 11 in the Coaches poll. Uh, they were previously at number 5 entering last weekend, but at this point, you toss those rankings aside for the most part. People focused in on the college football playoff rankings. Those will be announced uh, Tuesday evening. We're recording here on uh, mid-afternoon Tuesday, so not sure what uh, fate will be in store for Penn State. Obviously, uh, if you're an Indy Lions fan, you're hoping that they are inside the Top 10 rather than beyond it like they are in the Coaches poll. 
Bowl. Uh, we'll find out how much respect is given to them, how much respect is paid uh, to the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Be very curious to see how it pans out for them. And obviously Alabama, the other previous unbeaten team, uh, they fell on their home turf on Saturday. Uh, Going to be interested to see how a one-loss Crimson Tide squad is treated by the rankings committee. We'll talk about that more later in the week. Indiana, speaking of rankings, they are ranked for the first time since 1994. It will be a noon kickoff, and they are 7-2 and on the season. So if this is one that you've been kind of saying, uh, well, you get, you get Indiana to come in and fix all your problems in between two games against unbeaten opponents, think twice about that. We'll explain why more later in the week. But sorting through the Minnesota loss, uh, we got James Franklin, as we always do, on Tuesday afternoon. And Sean, before we talk about uh, some of the notable takeaways uh, from the 35 minutes, the first 35 minutes, let's start with how he finished because it seemed like the, the line of questioning was done. Um, he appeared ready to, to, to take off and then hesitated uh, and and decided to, to go off on, on a bit of what he even called, I think, venting. Um, some may call it ranting with the coach at the podium. Um, and, and we'll get right to it because he, he's, he clearly took issue with, with the way some of the coaching staff's decision, particularly one, uh, was handled by the media after the game. We'll talk about this a little bit more afterward, but we want to give you an unfiltered listen uh, out there for our audience. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about because at the end of the game, I got I got some questions, um, some questions about going for two. And I kind of want to talk about it, about that specific situation. But I also kind of want to talk big picture of, of what I struggle with. And maybe maybe next summer at the barbecue, you guys can you guys can fill me in on your perspective because it's probably not the setting for this right now. But. So going for two in that situation, you know, we looked at the classic two-point chart, which said go for it. Uh, we used our analytics stuff, which said go for it. Um, we decided to go for it partly because we're on the road, um, not playing as well as as we we thought we should be at the time, and. If we picked up the two-point conversion, it increased our chances and put us in a better situation. If we didn't pick it up, we still were going to have to overcome those points at some point. At the end of the day, here's the thing I struggle with. Um, A lot of these decisions are not clear-cut. There's some that are, but there's a lot that are not clear-cut. It's a gut feel. And what I struggle with is when those decisions, and again, I already told you, the two-point chart said go for it. The analytics stuff said go for it. But then opinions are stated as facts. And I struggle with that. I struggle with things that go on when it comes to discipline and people know very little of the story but have really strong opinions on how things are supposed to play out. I'll give you another example. The end of the game. End of the game. We're trying to decide, do we go onside's kick? Everybody know what I'm talking about. End of the game. Do you go onside's kick there? Or do you kick it deep, hold them, and burn your timeouts? Right? We decided to kick it deep. We decided to do a squib kick. You guys probably saw me come bring them over there because I was hoping with a squib kick, 
we have a chance of maybe pinning them inside the 25 because every yard mattered at that point. And you never know. With one guy deep having to cover the whole field, you kick it on an angle, you may go down and recover it. He may bobble it, which he did bobble it. We stopped them, went three and out. I burned the timeouts. That was the right decision. Why? Why, why was that the right decision? Because it worked. Because we stopped them. They went three and out and I burned the timeouts. If they would have picked up two first downs and ended the game, I would have been getting my butt ripped in the press conference for why didn't you go onside's kick? You're missing my point. My point is, is sometimes the decisions are clear cut, and I get it. And I make mistakes, a lot of people make mistakes. But when, when things are gray, when things are gray and things are stated as facts, I struggle with that. When, when I see people criticizing decisions on discipline, and I'm not just talking about my program, and you, and you don't have all the facts. That I, I just struggle with things being stated as facts when they're not, they're opinions. And a lot of times it's based on how it plays out. If I went for two early in the game and we picked up the two, it's a great decision. We threw a screen. We had three guys. They had two. If we run inside and score, we get two. It's a great situation. So I'm not saying I'm always right. But it's easy after the fact to say that that was a bad decision when, when, we, don't, when we don't execute. Now, at the end of the day, I'll be the first one to admit, I'm ultimately responsible for making sure that we execute the decision. So, I, so I, I, I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm still responsible for all of it, and I'll take it. But I will tell you, that's where my frustration comes from sometimes. Um, and doing this for 24 years, that's, that's the hard part. Once again, you disagree with me, and you're more than welcome to. I'm stating my opinion um, on, what, on how I kind of see it. So I appreciate you guys listening to me and let me vent for a few minutes. But it is on to uh, Indiana. And I'll look forward to not answering any more questions about last week in Minnesota. So now you've heard what we just heard in the media room. Perhaps you were watching live following our coverage. Uh, we always do the live updates on lines 24-7, of course. So uh, you may have already been aware of, of some of those comments. But it took us a little bit by surprise in the media room, I can tell you. We, we had about 10 minutes or so after Franklin left before we got uh, a player at the mic, and that was Jake Pinniger, a kicker. Um, so a lot of time spent in there. Um, you know, wondering necessarily where this came from. And, you know, it took kind of a on-scientific poll in the media room with who was left about who strongly disagreed with the two-point conversion on Saturday, who was in favor of it, and kind of who just didn't really know what to think. And, you know, Mark Brennan will tell you, he was asking me as that drive was going on, if you score here, do you go for two? I told him yes in the press box. Um, certainly everyone is entitled to their opinion. Uh, although James Franklin he seemed to think that opinions were being interpreted as facts. And quite frankly, it, it kind of juxtaposed a 35-minute press conference in which, ja which James Franklin essentially treated every question like they were shifting their focus. They, they already felt the pain of the Minnesota game. Now they're hitting the practice field again. Time to turn their attention forward. And, and yet he stepped aside uh, on warrant, uh, you know, unsolicited at the end, Sean, to, to make sure that, that we all knew in the press room that something that was written about that Minnesota game was eating away at him to the point where he kind of 
presented his case all over again and uh, you know was not expecting that to be honest with you because he handled himself so well in the post-game press conference I'm not necessarily saying he didn't handle himself well Tuesday afternoon but this one will turn some heads and and it kind of feeds into the the level of noise that James Franklin even with something like the co- the the rankings coming out for college football playoffs last week and how he was turning his attention away from that kind of feeds into the noise that they are looking to avoid. I think you hit it on the head right there because I don't think it's about the two-point conversion or he referenced the onside kick is or the, the lack of an onside kick as well as everybody's questioning these decisions. Nobody's talking about execution and, and things that have gone into it. Uh, the two-point play, he went with the chart. I think we said on the post-game podcast, neither of us had a problem with them going for, it, uh, going for two at that point. But when you don't get it, it's, people are going to second guess it. I, I'm, I'm reading the transcript that, that Mark Brennan sent me from the post-game the other night uh, out uh, in, at Minnesota. And it was more, hey, you did this wrong. And why did you do this wrong? Because this is the way that you should have done it. And which is not really our job. It's not really the way that, you know, I, we know a heck of a lot less about football than these guys. Um, but that, when it's presented in that light, I think that's the problem that, that gets to them. And now from what you're saying on top of that is this is now a distraction. This is now something that, that, that can be, you know, played back over. This is something that can be, I guess, thrown back in his face. And when you're coming off of a loss, when you're playing a 7-2 and two Indiana team, which, you know, you, you can debate whether it's a good 7-2 and two or a bad 7-2 and two like we did with uh, Minnesota's record last week. But when you're debating about playing that team, you don't need an extra thing to deal with. This is just something extra to deal with. I'm not sure that that's the right way to go about the situation. I understand what he's saying. I, I actually agree with a lot of what he was saying, especially the way that he has been approached in, in not just this week, but in the past. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is another thing I, you probably didn't need to put on your team's plate going into what is, you know, becoming a, a fairly, uh, a fairly big game. I can understand his frustration, but you know, the kind of, of, of noise that if he wants to dig into it and he wants to check our message boards and he wants to, to check Twitter, he's going to find a lot of, of, of people out there with opinions that he's not going to really appreciate and they won't be well-researched all the time. But in this particular case, you know, we kind of dug around. What's he talking about? Now, there, there's an article or two out there, columns that may have been written late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Uh, but I did not get the sense of, by any means that this beat was was swarming to point out that the, the two-point conversion attempt was, was some kind of glaring issue that cost Penn State. I think there's a lot of other things that you and I pointed to Saturday night that our colleagues in the press box pointed to Saturday night. Uh, this one particular issue, I, it almost feels like he would have been better served by communicating this uh, to someone, a, a particular, uh, you know, someone that he had an issue with rather than doing it to the whole uh, media room. Um, but hey, he took that approach. Uh, I don't necessarily think it serves his players well, um, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, it's what he went with. And I, I will say, you know, one other takeaway from this, Sean, that, that you know, we all noticed it right away. And, and I know it wasn't necessarily meant to be noticed while he's, you know, defending the two-point conversion try and, and and again, I thought it was the I thought it made sense to go for two. Um, you know, he was talking about how they liked the play, they liked the execution, uh, or they like they liked the idea of the play, and the blockers were there. But I don't know if he meant to do this. He kind of sold, you know, kind of put Ricky Slade in a strange situation because made it seem like if Ricky Slade had gone in and it would have had a chance to score, I think a lot of people observed that. It was the perception that I saw in the press box, thinking uh, Ricky Slade looked like he had a different route there to maybe reach the end zone. And 
because Franklin needed to tack this on at the end of the press conference, I feel like it does open Ricky Slade up to more criticism because it was mentioned in here that they liked the call. It just wasn't executed uh, at the final stages. And, and I feel like, you know, this is something that wouldn't necessarily be discussed uh, if, if Franklin had ended it with the Q&A. And again, I just think this guy's got a lot he's working on uh, with this program. He says they have every goal in front of him. And, you know, want to know, want to know, want to know, want to know, moving forward to Indiana. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I do wonder if, if there may be some people in his inner circle right now that are saying, and we've heard this before, like, James, are you sure he wanted to say all that? But something that he felt he needed to get off his chest. I don't know if he came into the press conference thinking he was going to do this or if it was something that maybe along the way he decided needed to be said. But, uh, it took me by surprise because, uh, you know, this is a team that just lost their first game. Um, and I think overall, the, the way this team has been covered, obviously when you're 8-0, it's very positive. But for the first brush of where we're asking different kind of questions after a game and a few days after the game, uh, it's the first time since, what, New Year's Day of 2019 that we've been in a spot where, where it's more of a critical uh, questioning. Uh, it just, it just, I guess it was a surprising response because I feel like Franklin himself has says, you know, he's matured in a lot of ways in terms of how he handles himself after a loss. That's with the team. That's with the media. I think it showed up in a big way on Saturday afternoon when I feel like maybe he could have turned around to a reporter and bid and, and provided some kind of rebuttal like this, but for it still to be on his mind so prevalently where he wants to put it out there with a uh, several minutes, as, as you've heard on a Tuesday afternoon, I don't want to go into here hard on Franklin here. I think he does a tremendous job as a program leader, but uh, this just seemed uncharacteristic of him. It seemed uh, uh, like a bit of a detour on their week by week approach. Well, nobody likes to lose. And I will say that I will also say some, some people on this beat do a really good job. I'll also say there's a lot of lazy analysis on this beat. And I think that's what he has a problem with, you know, uh, whether you want to call it uneducated or or anything like that. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit that is taken as fact and turned back around. And I think that's the problem that he has had. And and I agree with him very much so on on, on that aspect. Um, So looking at uh, what's coming out of that game, and if you're you're being told, and this is a guy that makes, what, $5 million. This is a guy that has won a lot of football games uh, at each stop. When you're being told by somebody with with a pen and a paper that you're doing it the wrong way, that's going to rub some people. You know, that's going to rub him the wrong way. So I think that's that's going, and that's something he probably has to work on. And I think he would admit that. And he kind of took a step back during that statement, talking about uh, meeting with with beat writers at the barbecue or something next summer, and talking about their as or you know their their aspect on on how you handle a situation like this. So it, I think it's a little bit of give and take, but I think you know he's frustrated with. Lazy analysis, and I think that's something that came on heavy, especially after a loss. I think he has earned the benefit of the doubt at this point that we've talking a lot about what he's accomplished at Penn State. He's got what he accomplished at Vanderbilt on his resume already, and um, you know, I, 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 I'm just surprised he, he would. I don't want to say sink to that level, but uh, you know, he has the benefit of the doubt, and I think he should know that. And, and uh, you know, it just it, clearly this irked him. And uh, you know, like you said. Get a loss, it, 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 stick, it sticks in your craw a little bit, as they say. So we'll, so we'll see how it goes from here. Um, additionally, there was a lot more said at the press conference before the end. It just kind of, that that stole the show a little bit. Uh, and I'll be curious to see how some people, you know, respond to it as, as they write and, and, and all that stuff. But we've set our piece on it here. Uh, we'll move on. James Franklin will move on. Uh, one note here, 
he says Noah Kane could have played. Um, we saw Noah Kane in pregame warmouts, uh, warmups as we reported on Lions 24-7 on Saturday. Um, he was a limited participant, didn't do everything, but but certainly was active during running back drills. He was in full uniform. Uh, James Franklin says that it didn't make sense to have a 90% Noah Kane when they had three guys at that running back position who were 100%. At the end of the day, we saw Journey Brown get 14 carries. We saw Devin Ford get three carries. There was a sense, though, that you had to wonder, Noah Kane inside the 10, looking for that push, seems well-suited for it. So I think, you know, throwing out the percentage is always interesting for a coach to do. And when he says 90% Noah Kane, um, I I think there's some fans out there that are going to say, yeah, we'll take 90% Noah Kane uh, over some of what we've got. I agree, especially when they were going with Devin Ford there inside the 10. You mentioned on the podcast that probably could have been a really good spot to use him. I think 90% is probably a little bit optimistic. You and I saw him at practice on Wednesday night uh, doing slightly more than we were doing on the <laughs> yeah. sideline. Of course, he looked, he was in more comfortable sweatpants. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it, you say you want to play him in an emergency situation. That seems like an emergency situation, which tells me he's not as healthy as the 90% would uh, would indicate. Another player who was not out, at least to start the game, Micah Parsons, team's leading tackler, missed the first defensive series on which Minnesota did score a touchdown. Uh, that was, I know this was addressed on the TV broadcast. We were not notified of anything in the press box. Uh, Franklin saying behavior modification, although he was quick to add that Micah Parsons has been great 99.9% of the time. He did not get into specifics. But you're without one of your best players. Some may say your best player uh, for the first series. And again, Minnesota gets seven points out of it. And and also you're without Antonio Shelton. So that was a bit of a storyline. I think Shelton was was more than you would think. Is very physical up front was Minnesota. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, they certainly could have used him. Veteran presence. Maybe get your rotation a little bit more. Even get a little bit more out of Robert Windsor by giving him fewer snaps. Or, or even P.J. Mustafer as well and balancing that out. So I think they really did miss... Antonio Shelton, maybe not in the sense that they didn't stop the run because they eventually turned around and did a pretty good job stopping the run later in the game. But uh, I mean, that's that's one of your core guys in there. And I know he was suspended for the spitting incident and a lot of people harbor some feelings about him because of that. But I think he's going to be a captain next year regardless. And I think that that, you know, that says a lot about how much they missed him this year, how much they missed his, uh, I guess, ability to lift everybody up and, and, and be a vocal leader. Um, you know, it's about turning it around right now. James Franklin said on, on Tuesday, he was very curious how they would practice today. I'm looking outside. I see some snow flying, so they're probably going to be inside at this point. But uh, he said Saturday cannot come soon enough. I'm curious to see how that turns around, especially on the defensive side of the ball. This is a defense that has played extremely well up until this weekend, but really they hadn't been challenged as much as Minnesota. Minnesota really took it to them. Um, and, and really to see how they respond, especially with a team like Indiana that will throw the ball. Now they're on their backup quarterback, which is, uh, you know, it's, it, it could go a couple of different ways for the Hoosiers. But, uh, I mean, this team's going to throw the ball. The secondary struggled last weekend with, with receivers making plays over them. We'll see how this defense and this entire team responds heading into Saturday. P.J. Mustafer on a conference call Tuesday, after, Tuesday morning when asked about what he sees from Indiana thus far in preparation. He said they're going to throw the ball at you, and then they're going to throw the ball at you again. So we will definitely talk about that later on in the week. Going back quickly to Antonio Shelton, I specifically asked James Franklin 
about getting Antonio Shelton back and beyond the trenches, beyond what he may have been able to contribute to you physically, Franklin said that they were missing his presence in terms of being that vocal leader, being a guy who's loud, willing to get in people's faces in key moments. Uh, and, and in a game where you were falling behind by multiple touchdowns in the first half, those are the kind of characters that you require. So there was a, a bit of a, a leadership void, it, it sounds like, uh, with Antonio Shelton out. Now, P.J. Musfer says he's back in the fold. Uh, he thinks we're going to see a very motivated... Uh, and, and Antonio Shelton is a naturally motivated guy, but... Uh, seems to think that he's going to have yeah, more of more to play for at this point. One other thing that, that PJ Mustfer said that, that did stand out, aside from saying it was uh, very much a stark difference in the quietness uh, on the plane back from a loss, and, and on Sunday when people reported back to the facilities to, to kind of review this whole thing and dissect it, much more quiet around the building, and that's what you'd expect. We're going to learn about how this young team who has been on a roll, they have been celebrated. We've said a lot of nice things about them on the podcast, and people have written a lot of nice things about them as they were 8-0. You know that that that's it turns quickly in college football, and these are a lot of young players who have not been in the limelight and, and kind of focal points at key moments like this. So we'll see how they respond to it. One guy who certainly is at the forefront of all that right now, Sean, is Sean Clifford, redshirt sophomore quarterback, coming off a three interception performance, um, a game that you know Franklin will say gutsy, gutsy effort toward the end. Uh, responded to some adversity, uh, but ultimately did not play well enough to go beat a, a very, very quality opponent on the road in Minnesota. And uh, PJ told us that after the game, and kind of thought this may be the case, that Franklin specifically pointed out uh, and, and addressed Sean Clifford in front of the team in terms of, you know, looking to, to, to convince Sean, I don't know if convince is the right word, but to, to try to, to get him to let some of that blame fall off his shoulders because we talked to Sean after the game. I mentioned this on the post-game podcast. Uh, this guy w- was about as down as I've ever seen a player in a post-game session than maybe Trace McSorley last year after the road loss at Michigan. And um, uh, Franklin says that, that he will be driven by this. That is how he is wired. But I think ultimately they, what they're learning about Sean and you're learning about your starting quarterback and he's learning about himself yeah, he cares so much is the way that Franklin phrased it, but that greatest strength can be his greatest weakness is also what Franklin said, that that he is such a ball of energy and so invested, got to be able to take some step back, take some deep breaths, and move forward with a little bit more of a honed-in focus. And I, I think that's you know part of the learning process for Sean Clifford, and I'd imagine Minneapolis, uh, f- from the start of the game to the end of the game to when we saw him uh, after and, and, and spoke with him about a loss, uh, you know, it was it was a day to take some lessons away from uh, for the first-year starting quarterback. Well, he's still learning to be a starting quarterback at that, so I think that that goes into it. And obviously, learning on the job is very difficult. We saw Trace McSorley do that in the first month of his career, and then he came back around. Clifford, I think the good thing was he, he didn't really – his mistakes were not a result of him getting rattled. Um, the, the bad throws – uh, you know, hand getting hit and all that kind of stuff is one thing. Um, but uh, it really wasn't the wide-eyed guy that we saw uh, against Iowa in the first couple of drives, so that was good. Um, maybe maybe held the ball once or twice, right? You know, back back to his own end zone. He took a sack, um, but that you know what that, that that's the sort of thing that happens. So 
in rewatching it, um, you know, it was pretty hard on Clifford the other night. Uh, still wasn't a good game by any stretch. He's got to protect the ball. He's got to put them in the right spots. Got to do a better job reading the run game. Um, but still, I don't think that it was a, the complete train wreck that you would think when you see a three interception game on the road. Um, this is a spot where where really they could have had more costly turnovers or the ball get away from them. Just take one of those freaky bounces and and one of those things where everything goes wrong. Uh, you know, a lot of things went wrong, but it, it wasn't one of those avalanches that we, we start to see at, at points during the season. So Clifford's got to be better. He's got to turn it around. Um, he's got to start with uh, with some of these throws, man. Uh, you know, you, you, you start the game with a, a really good throw to Justin Shorter. You come back with a, a really poor throw down the field to Justin Shorter. Now, Justin Shorter's got to do a better job turning around and, and getting that done. But, I mean, you've got to put that behind you. You've got to have the short-term memory, come back out and do – um, you know, protect the football, but uh, and and lead your team to points. And you know, the the only time that I saw him sort of get flustered with things, and I'll, I'll close my point here. You know, at that delay of game situation there in the in at the end of the first, or excuse me, in the, in the first quarter, I believe it was, where they had a chance to get seven points, they ended up with three. I mean, that's that's the sort of thing that he's got to learn on the fly. He's got to learn to take that because it wasn't a situation that really was any, out of the ordinary or anything like that. So. I, I'm I'm encouraged with some of the things I saw with Sean Clifford. A lot of it's ex- personal execution. He's got to uh, take that. And I'm I got my notebook out here for my second look. And I just in big letters on the top, I just say execute. And that's really you know we're going to talk about the Minnesota game on the other side of the commercial break. But that's really what it came down to last weekend. And that's when moving forward when you move into these next three games, that's really what it's got to come down to. And if we can take a step back uh, to what James Franklin said after his press conference today, I don't want to harp on this too much, but. A lot of that's got to fall on those guys too. I mean, that's uh, it, it was a situation where you're seeing players, and I I went back and looked at the game, you know, outside of those red zone, um, outside of those red zone opportunities that they came up short. I thought Rick, Ricky Ronnie called an excellent game. I mean, it, there was some really really good calls in there, put them in the position to do so. Players didn't come through, execute, and I think that's really where I think that's going to end up being the story um, when you when you just consolidate all the information from this Minnesota game. Is the players got to step up? They got to execute. They got to be on the same page with that coaching staff. The coaching staff, of course, in situations has to be better. But uh, man, just let so much get away in that Minnesota game. Clifford can be better. I think he will be better, and I think he's going to learn from this this uh, this game against Minnesota. Such a slim margin for error um, in the game against Minnesota. To the Golden Gophers' credit, because how they came out and played so sharp and, and put together the kind of performance that they wanted to put together, whereas Penn State, uh, you know, just just fell short uh, in, in particular things. And if you can correct one or two of those, maybe we're talking about a, a come from behind win for Sean Clifford and the team. Now, you know, James Franklin w- was certainly quick to point out when asked about the wide receiver group and and he was asked today beyond Jahan Dotson uh, beyond KJ Hamler what's kind of the sense of what's going on right there at wide receiver at this point and and clearly fans know this we know this focal point is on Justin Shorter you can throw Daniel George in there uh you know and and it can you know you go down the list you know a guy like Weston Carr who we thought maybe would contribute to this uh to this passing game as a grad transfer from the division 2 level has not materialized Mac Hippenhammer uh has not developed to the point where he's a, a productive wide receiver in his third year on campus and uh there's a noticeable steep drop off and not just in the stats but but you know in in-game performances where Sean Clifford's looking who's catching the ball and and, and Franklin was quick to point out that you know the passing the, the passes from Clifford on occasion uh were not there where they needed to be skipped a couple passes uh threw a poor ball on the third play of the game looking for Justin Shorter 
But at the same time, you know, Franklin says there needs to be some accountability. They have faith and confidence, were his words, in those other wide receivers. But he said you've got to be able to bring it out of those guys more. And we're getting to the point now, you know, three quarters of the way into this 2019 regular season where it just has not come together for Justin Shorter, a guy who told us uh, back in the summer that, that his target was Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Uh, mentioned on the podcast that what a way it would have been for him to announce himself, albeit during latter stages of the season, in a game like Minnesota when the ball finds him in the end zone and he's unable to pull that in. And it, it is something that is becoming more and more of an Achilles heel for this offensive attack because, uh, quite frankly, we know KJ, we know Pat, that they're going to get the job done. Uh, but there's only so many times in it where it doesn't feel like you're just force-feeding those guys, maybe to your offense's detriment. We'll talk about the X position, what they need to get out of that position, and more. And we'll try to talk more Minnesota after our commercial break. We'll be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's turn our attention to some more details of the Minnesota-Penn State game. We know how it turned out. How did it get to that point? Well, I can tell you Tuesday morning, P.J. Mustafer said that Minnesota ran its RPO Quote, to perfection. He sounded quite impressed by what Minnesota brought to the table. Sean, you've had a chance to rewatch things for your uh, tremendous second look piece. That'll be up on lines 24-7 for the folks to read. But I, I think you'd probably agree uh, with PJ. That execution that the Golden Gophers came out to start with, uh, I'll tell you what, they were ready to roll from the outset. In that first half, they did everything right. Uh, both sides of the ball, well, maybe more on offense than anything. Tanner Morgan was was nearly flawless. He was excellent. The wide receivers came out and did it. I was also impressed with the way that the uh, offensive line, the front uh, the front of the Gophers, really didn't back down from Penn State's defensive line. We talked uh, you know, last week about those big guys on the right side, Falele and uh, the, the other guy from IMG Academy um, that was on the right side, but the left side of this offensive line really took it to Penn State. Um, uh, they, they got off the ball. They were able to, to, to sort of impose their will, and Penn State not, not really going into a cocoon or anything like that, but really they, they kind of played on their heels a little bit. We talked about Itor Gross Matos, the way that he was ineffective. We talked about some of those other guys. 
Um, but getting to the RPO was was huge. I mean, Minnesota was able to freeze the linebackers and freeze the safeties, and the safeties, quite frankly, had a bad day, a real bad day um, because of it. So, I, I, and both sides really, you know, it was kind of the same story. Penn State didn't go to it as much as Minnesota did, but Minnesota went to it. They went back to it. They had a lot of success. We banged on Tariq Castro Fields a bunch um, after the podcast, and I, I, I said to myself, I think I said on the podcast, he probably wasn't as bad as you thought he might not be. And, and running it back, he really wasn't. Just they got to get more out of their safety play. Um, and that's going to be something. Uh, this week against Indiana, they're going to throw the ball around. They're going to maybe try to expose some of the safeties. Safeties were slow getting over a couple of times and resulted in some really big plays from Minnesota. But I was really impressed with what the Gophers did. They came out. They took it to Penn State. They were relentless. And, and, and really what I mean by that is – there are plays where, you know, you're blitzing a linebacker and, you know, he's not going to get to Sean Clifford, but he's going to run through a Steven Gonzalez or a Ricky Slade on the on the second interception. They're going to keep coming through you and they're going to make a play, whether it's taking the quarterback down, maybe tipping the quarterback's hand or fingers, just uh, altering it ever so slightly. And they did a great job with that on both sides of the football. They really came after Penn State on both sides and really just, I mean, it's concerning if you're Penn State fans because this is not a team that you thought lacked physicality. This is not a team that you thought would lack toughness. And they came out against an opponent that, you know, quite frankly, is an inferior opponent. I mean, Penn State, I think if they played them on a neutral field, they'd be fine. Um, but uh, Penn State came out against this opponent and, and Minnesota really took it to them. Penn State didn't have answers for them. And before you know it, it's 21 to 10. You're scraping from behind and you're putting Minnesota in the exact situation that they wanted to be in all week long. And we'll have uh, we're scheduled to speak with Tim Banks, Penn State safeties coach, on, on Thursday morning. So perhaps for the next podcast, we'll maybe have some answers there, some 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 things that he saw because I think a lot of people like you came away from that game wondering you know, what happened, what happened at the safety spot early in the game. Uh, Garrett Taylor specifically found himself out of position at times, and as we said, Tanner Morgan put together the performance of his young career so far and elevated the expectations for what he can accomplish. And I know a lot of people are going to say, and James Franklin included, you know, the RPO restricts what you can do as a pass rush um, unable to, to to kind of uh, dial it back and 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 get after the QB but I'll tell you what Sean it, it's it been a consistent theme since that Purdue game they got 10 sacks first time this century they've gotten 10 sacks uh, in a game I believe it was they have peaked out at two sacks in a game in the last four now they had two sacks against Iowa uh, I believe it was one sack uh, against Michigan Two sacks against Michigan State, both by Jason Oway, and then uh, one of them, courtesy of Micah Parsons, late in this contest at Minnesota. And you know, for as much as we've spoken about the speed that they present, uh, their ability to to, to to disrupt things, there was you know very finite opportunities where you could say that Tanner Morgan was thrown off kilter in any way, shape, or form. And unfortunately for Penn State, one of the obvious examples of that resulted instead of a forced punt out of the back of the end zone a John Reed DPI which which extended Minnesota's possession so uh, you know that's something that people are I think are starting to to wonder where is that for Penn State why is not that not being generated more and obviously opponent to opponent to opponent it's going to be a different set of circumstances but uh, the results just have not come from the pass rush as, as kind of we thought maybe the Purdue game was going to be some kind of indication of of a springboard of things to come. 
And there are reasons for that. Uh, just watching the film, I actually thought Shakatoni had a pretty decent game. Um, but uh, really, Minnesota did did what they needed to do to protect them. They actually threw a lot out of their unbalanced look where they brought in another offensive lineman, maybe kept in a tight end or a running back. So a lot of max, max protect. Now, on the other side of that, you're running two receivers into, into routes and you're still completing passes. That's a problem. Um, so I think that that's, uh, that's one way you mentioned the sack by Parsons, terrific play at the end of, uh, I think the, the end of the game or late in the fourth quarter did a really good job with that. So there were bright spots. There's there, there were reasons behind some of this. Um, very quickly, I thought Jan Johnson and the linebackers were pretty good. Um, you know, they, they were frozen on the RPO a couple of times, but I, you know, I attribute that more to the safeties, the safeties more than once looked like they were running, you know, just haywire just no idea where where they were supposed to be and then when they got in the position they were all tripped up and things like that um i i think that minnesota attacked penn state's backup defensive line very well not only with the run game but uh if you look at that tunnel screen touchdown that's against four backups and four backups flew up the field on that safety they ran it later in the game pj mustafer made a nice play to come back and, and sort of cut off an angle and cam brown made another nice play so um, you're, you're talking about uh, attacking personnel, and I thought Minnesota did a really good job of that. Um, the offensive line, I thought they were fine. I thought they were good enough to win this game. Journey Brown was good. Um, you know, Ricky Slade got in there a couple of times, but there really wasn't a uh, running back rotation on Saturday. They went with the hot hand, which was Journey Brown. Journey Brown got a little bit dinged up, and we saw Devin Ford coming in there. So the running back rotation that, that people are complaining back really wasn't an issue, really wasn't uh, the reason that Penn State uh, fell flat on offense. Um, and then Sean Clifford, like I said, banged on him a lot. But he made some things happen eventually. He came around. When he started to move, he got his eyes downfield, which is something that he's struggled with at times this year. He hit Pat Fryermuth on a scramble. He hit K.J. Hamler on a scramble. He did some nice things in that situation. So we, you see some positives coming out of it. Of course, you're always going to circle the loss. You're always going to circle what happened bad. And there were plenty of lowlights. The safety play, as I mentioned beforehand, uh, Penn State pushed around up front, uh, namely on the defensive side of the ball. And that X wide receiver position is something we talked about before the break. Man, that's uh, that's sort of a black hole right now. You look at what Justin Shorter did on Saturday, and really, you know, you're going to point to that first ball, which I, you know, I pin more on Clifford than Shorter, but Shorter's got to make a better play on it. Um, he, he had two drops, two two costly drops. One was a, a touchdown that was in his hands. Now Penn State eventually did score on that drive, so you know it kind of takes a little bit of the sting off of it. The one that gets me. If you look at the uh, pitch play to, to Ricky Slade, which I believe was called a forward pass, but Shorter just flat out whiffs on his block on the end. They they, they uh, yanked him out of the game after that. I'm sure he got an earful on the sideline, but you got to have more effort. You got to have, as we said before, you got to assert yourself, be the guy. If you want to be the guy, if you want to talk about being big, big 10 freshman of the year, you got to go up, you got to, you know, pound your chest a couple of times and you got to make the plays when they come to you. So really disappointing. I mean, it's got to be one of the biggest disappointments of the season so far as, as it's been Justin Shorter's performance. And Daniel George really wasn't that far behind. Um, and going to give him the, the offensive pass interference because, again, as we said after the game, not crazy about that call. Didn't think it should have been called in that situation. Don't think it was pa- offensive pass interference. But he also drops a big third down across the middle. He has some issues blocking as well. So that, that X wide receiver position, and we saw Penn State switch it up and go to some 12, more 12 personnel with Nick Bowers in there because really that's that that was a lot more productive than having a third wide receiver in there. Some of these comments you're making on Justin Shoulder, and it's not just today, it's been over the course of the season. I feel like 
we could just snag some of the comments you made about Jawan Johnson last year uh, over the course of the year, and, and you can apply some of those uh, in, in terms of assertiveness and, and taking over your side of the football field, still waiting for that moment from uh, Justin Shorter in, in year number two as a redshirt freshman. And you were at the game in, in Minneapolis. I was watching on TV. It was very apparent that they had told the broadcasters they were going to work Justin Shorter more into this game, and that's something they do. You know, they, that's something they do during the week when they talk to the coaching or the coaching staff talks to the uh, the broadcast team and gets it going. So it was very apparent that they wanted to get Justin Shorter into that game plan more. Um, it, it's not a situation I think where they were saving him, but I think they saw some nice things, and you saw it on the first play of the game. They go to that RPO. Shorter's open. He needs to make that catch. So uh, need to see more from him. He's got time to turn it around, no doubt about it. Um, but this is, you know, for the most part, been a wasted year. Um, that uh, let's see, get, getting back down to the rundown. Minnesota got to Sean Clifford, even though they just sacked him twice. Like I said, they were relentless. They came after him. Um, they did a really nice job of of plugging holes and taking away passing lanes and things like that. Um, and, and you know, we talk so much about the players, but the coaching staff shouldn't get off scot free. The situational play calling went back over it again, just kind of scratching your head about what's out there. And I think it goes down to the number of options that Sean Clifford has and the trust that he has in guys that are not Pat Firemuth and not KJ Hamler. I think that's that's concerning moving forward, especially when you got when you got to go to Ohio State in two weeks. You know, Ohio State's got at the athletes to take these guys away. Minnesota didn't have anybody that could cover Pat Fryermuth. And, you know, that was KJ Hamler made some contested catches, but he's still a phenomenal athlete. Ohio State does have the guys that can hang with those guys. It is concerning because I think you would have thought maybe Clifford's the X factor. He should have the weapons coming into the season. Now it's more, you know, you know, Clifford can get the ball. He can move the ball around. You know, James Franklin went out uh, outright said that he feels like Sean Clifford has exceeded expectations as a first-year starter this year. That was during his press conference on Tuesday. Um, but look, the the supporting cast and you know, last year it was really underwhelming around Trace McSorley. What they got, I, I don't think it's to that point right now. But it just has not risen to the level we expected. And, and this is a Penn State team that has has hit very well on a lot of their top recruits of late in the James Franklin era. Uh, right now, you're still waiting for more of a return on the investment with some of these top wide receivers that they have brought in. Uh, clearly, we, the true freshmen have not been involved, so kind of putting them aside. But you know, whether it's the third year guys, the second year guys, you know, Jahan Dotson has been pretty consistent when called upon. Uh, but but you're just not at that depth that we thought they may have developed. Uh, over the course of the last couple of years. And, and that is, you know, rearing its head in an ugly fashion as they get into the final stretch of the season. And when it comes down to it, I mean, you can we can break it down all we want, but Minnesota went out and made those plays. They took those plays from Penn State, made them, and Penn State did not. Um, Penn State came up short, of course, thought they were going to get it done, but uh, you, you had that little cluster down at the end of the game. But, uh, you know, really when it goes back to it, you gave Minnesota a reason to believe this is a team that you could not do that as a coach that you could not do that against because they they certainly buy into everything that, that that he does. So you gave him a reason to believe early. They took them take it took advantage of that before your defense could settle down. And, and then all of a sudden you, you see yourself with a loss and you're probably, you know, I, I don't want to spend any time talking about the college football playoff because those rankings aren't out yet. But essentially, you know, you're taking yourself out of that playoff hunt. So We'll see what happens, um, you know, getting away from football into recruiting last week, uh, kind of a funny thing uh, on James Franklin's radio show, which I haven't listened to for a long time. Not much notable has come out of it in the last uh, couple of years, but kind of slipped up 
kind of talked about a commitment that Penn State got. It was supposed to come on Monday, um, but it, it didn't wait that long. Once those things get out, by the way, a little behind the curtain thing, once those things get out and people know that it's happening, it goes very quickly. So uh, it was really interesting to see Jimmy Chris come on board. I know that's very disappointing to some people that his name's not Christ, but uh, Jimmy Chris came on board, offensive tackle from Virginia, flip from Virginia, and I think it's a good pickup for Penn State. They always want to take tackles, and that's something that they uh, have prioritized in this class. Now they have, a, uh, I think, what, six offensive linemen. Fortunately, our Mark Brennan never misses a, a show of James Franklin's radio, so we, he was all over that one to, to kind of bring that to our attention. And uh, yeah, it did not take long, did it? We found out, I think, Friday at dinner dinnertime, uh, Jimmy Christ was a member of this recruiting class. And uh, Sean, I think, you know, combine this with the fact that R.J. Adams was elsewhere, it, does this about close the book on, on the R.J. Adams saga in, in your mind? I think it does. I think that's something that they prioritized was was having a guy that could play tackle or possibly guard rather than a guy that's going to play guard or center exclusively. And that's something we talked about with, you know, with him sort of walking on eggshells with his spot in the class. I mean, you, you really, you know, it is what it is. Tackles are more valuable. And, and if you're a guard or you're an interior prospect, I mean, you just don't have the kind of leverage that those tackles have. So I think that that's probably the end of it. Uh, there's not too many spots left. Of course, Theo Johnson's set to announce on uh, uh, no- November 18th, next Monday. Um, so he's the priority right now. There's some other guys that are still on the board. We talked about it in an F zone uh, on Friday morning before uh, Jimmy Christ announced. But uh, getting back to Christ, this is something that Penn State's been working on behind the scenes. I know I talked to Jimmy uh, in October at some point, and he's, you know, he, he mentioned he was going to come up for a game. You know, it was one of those things that he did a lot of that uh, sort of under the table with Penn State in terms of talking to them because you're a committed prospect. You don't want that to get out to the, the school that you're currently committed to. But this is a guy that's been on campus a bunch. I don't think people realize that. He came, I think, for three visits in the, in the spring. He had been on campus for a game last year camp for Penn State uh, previously. So he's very familiar with the program. Now, his older brother is a, I think, defensive lineman. I think he just got switched to offensive lineman at Virginia. So that's kind of curious in terms of uh, of timing. And, and really, this is a kid that Notre Dame was after, Penn State was after, a bunch of schools were after. And he seemed pretty sold on Virginia when he committed to them back in the spring. You could call him a high three-star. He's considered a top 30 offensive tackle prospect in the composite rankings. Six foot seven, 290. You're, you're looking at an offensive tackle all the way here. And uh, Brian Doan has, has a great scouting report up for our VIP members on, on Lions 24-7, kind of breaking his game uh, into further detail. But uh, stop me if you heard this before, Sean. A top 10 prospect in Virginia decides to head to Happy Valley. That has been a consistent theme uh, during recent years of, of them getting some of the marquee members of that Virginia recruiting class and time and time again. And here's another name to add to that list. Well, they've done a heck of a job and he's actually Penn State's highest rated uh, offensive line commit in the class. Um, of course, they've got a couple of tackles with with Chris and Fashanu. Um, you can you probably throw Devin Willick in that uh, in that group as well. Um, so I mean, you've got options that uh, I guess the Ibrahim Traore could be could be a guard or a tackle, probably a tackle. But uh, yeah, you've got options there. Uh, you know, among that offensive line class, they bring a lot of difference uh, between them. I mean, it's just you you don't have the same prospect over and over. There's no carbon copies in that class, which I like. We'll see how they, they, they pan out. They need offensive linemen. They need numbers. They need to fill out uh, and sort of get that going again after last class when you took Salim Wormley and Caden Wallace. Of course, you got a red shirt with Anthony Wigan too, so that's a bonus year. But still, the numbers needed to come back up, and they've done that so far in this class. Speaking of red shirts, one other note I wanted to add on this podcast. Penn State brought Joey Porter Jr. out to Minnesota with them, did not play. 
So he's still at three games. He did not hit that four game. They have him to work with. And we don't know where Trent Gordon is right now health-wise. He did not make the trip to Minneapolis. So uh, just really quickly wanted to to put that out there. We'll focus on it a bit more in terms of what this matchup looks like and and how the cornerbacks could be affected against an Indiana team that, as we said, they're going to throw the ball, and they're going to throw the ball a lot. Uh, Sean, the class now is 28 players. We're going to get into it on one of these podcasts coming up, more detail, do a position-by-position outlook. But all of a sudden, I was texting you, Tomorrow's Wednesday, five weeks from tomorrow, the early signing day commences. And all of a sudden, you know, you're going to be looking at a class that, you know, the inn is just about full when you talk about this 2020 Penn State recruiting class. Yeah, it's a big class, 28 commitments right now. And, you know, you look across the board and really no real whispers of visits or anything like that. There's been some talk about Amin Vanover maybe going to see Alabama. Not really sure he's high on their priority list, but that's something that's been talked about. But, uh, Really, I mean, you got to wonder if the R.J. Adams saga has sort of spooked these guys because there's, I mean, usually there's there's at least some conversation about, hey, this school is still talking to this kid and he's talking about visiting. Really haven't heard too much of that. Um, some guys with some really good senior years, I and mean, I'm going to close here in a little bit, but uh, some stock up guys. And you know I love Curtis Jacobs. He's the best player in his class. Um, he's, he's a terrific two-way high school player, just keeps doing it on the field. I think he's what, number 60? He's in the 60s in the 24-7 sports rankings. I see him as a top 50 player, maybe even higher than that. Um, Just a tremendous player. I'm excited to see how he develops over the next couple of years because like Lance Dixon, like uh, Brandon Smith, I think he'll have some time to develop as a linebacker. And when he does, uh, you know, I think the sky's the limit for him. Like I said, I think he's Penn State's best commit. And I think that his senior year is just more evidence that this kid is a heck of an athlete and, and, and a really, really good football player. Absolutely. And we got a chance to see him work in camp. Very impressed there. Impressed by everything about Curtis Jacobs. And I think uh, he has a chance to come in and make some noise as a freshman. Right now, number 13, when you look at the composite rankings, is the Penn State uh, class. They are number 10 uh, by 24-7 sports uh, evaluation. And, and if they're able to hold on that, maybe approve upon it, we'll see. They got a lot of players already in this class. Other classes will be catching up a bit. Uh, but, you know, they're in the mix to sign a third consecutive top 10 recruiting class when you look at the way 24-7 sports evaluates these talent halls. And uh, we'll find out how they close. We'll get into that more. But, Sean, we'll step away for now. Um, anything else to add? Uh, second look's coming up soon, I suppose. I suppose so. I've got a couple thousand <laughs> words so far, and I don't know how much le- I have left in me. I uh, still got to go through the end of that fourth quarter and that train wreck. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it should be. There's quite a bit in this one, and I think it's worth checking out. I look forward to checking it out. Uh, We'll be back later in the week, give us some perspective on the Indiana Hoosiers, who, much like we said last week, they're in the midst of a very special season for their program, ranked for the first time in 25 years. Uh, For now, we'll step aside. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.